gave me this necklace. Minkai came to my Aunt Rachel and he said, Nemo. He said, Baba, that's my dad's name, Baba, he doesn't know how to live out in the jungles. How can he be this old and be this ignorant? He doesn't know how to hunt. He doesn't know how to track. He doesn't know how to use a blowgun or use a spear. And Minkai just couldn't believe that. You see, it was a father's duty to teach his sons what they needed to know in order to live in the jungles. And Rachel looked back at Minkai and she said, Minkai, you haven't speared his father. Who do you say should teach him how to live? And Minkai left. Later that afternoon, he came back. He said, it's true. Having speared his father, I myself will teach him how to live. But now remember his culture. By teaching my dad how to hunt and how to track and how to use a blowgun and how to use a spear, he was giving him the tools and the training necessary to avenge his dad's death by killing Minkai and Minkai's family. But you see, Minkai was no longer walking his own trail. See, down in the jungles, they say there's two trails. There's your trail and there's God's trail. Minkai was no longer walking his trail, so he agreed to teach my dad these, these necessary things for living in the jungles. Well, the depth of this relationship was not known until a short time later when Minkai's sons came to my dad and said, Baba, let's go hunt monkeys. Now, if you've never been to the Amazon rainforest, you probably haven't tasted too many monkeys. But monkeys are excellent. You're wondering what they taste like, right? What do you think? They, they taste just like chicken. So they wanted my dad to go monkey hunting. But my dad says, I don't have a blowgun. How am I going to go hunt monkeys without a blowgun? And his son said, oh, just grab Minkai's blowgun. Now remember, my Aunt Rachel had told my dad, you never touch a warrior's blowgun or his spears because they take a long time to make. Only his sons are allowed to use those. If you, use a, if you take a warrior's blowgun or his spears, it's a killing offense. But my dad looked in his house, and there's no walls inside the house, and Minkai wasn't there, and his wife Onpoda weren't there. So he grabbed, the, he grabbed the blowgun, which is about 10 to 12 feet long, you can't exactly hide this thing. And he went out and he went monkey hunting. Well, when he came back in, both Minkai and Ompore were in the hut. So he, you can't sneak a 12-foot blowgun inside the house. So finally he took it in, and Minkai saw him, of course, but didn't say anything. And it was at that time that my dad realized that Minkai had not just agreed to teach him how to live. Minkai had actually adopted my dad as his own family. Now, fast forward to 1994. In 1994, my great-aunt Rachel died of cancer and was buried out with the people that she had lived with for 36 or 37 years. My dad heard about it, went down for the funeral service, and after the funeral, Dawa, who would be his tribal aunt or grandmother, said, Baba, now that Nemo is dead, we say that you come and you live with us. And my dad said, no. He said, it's impossible. And then Dawa said, well, Aunt Rachel, Nemo said that you would come. 
well, how are you going to argue with somebody who's already dead? And so my dad used an excuse that maybe you or I might be tempted to use. He says, I'll pray about it. Because how is, how is somebody else going to know what God told you, right? And so Dawa, she turned back to the people. She said, people, I've already talked to Wangungi, the creator God. And I know that he sees it well. So my dad used the next best excuse he could come up with. He said, uh, Wangungi and Ongin Kamo. The creator God and my mom. He said, both of them. Now that's my mom, his wife. He said, both of them seeing it well surely will come. And Dawa turned back to the people. She said, people, Ongin Kamo being a God follower, if God sees it well, how can she not see it well? And so in 1995, two weeks after I graduated from high school, we moved down to live in the Amazon rainforest with our Waurani family. But when we got there, we said, okay, what do you want us to do for you? And they said, no, we don't want you to do anything for us. They say, foreigners always are coming and doing for us. But doesn't God's carvings, the Bible, say that all God followers should be doing things to reach their own people? We said, yes, that, that's true. And they said, doesn't that include us also? And we said, well, yes, it does. And they said, okay. They said, we don't want you to do anything for us. We want you to teach us so that we can do for our people and we can reach them with the love of Christ. And we said, well, like what? And they said, we want to know how to do the baga bia. This is my baga, the tooth thing. They wanted to learn how to do dentistry. Well, none of us were dentists, so we didn't think that was possible. We asked them what else. And they kind of went down this list, and they wanted to know how to do the medicine thing. And they wanted to know how to do the eye thing. And then they wanted to know how to do the flying thing. See, something that they realized is that when people hurt, they need that physical hurt to be taken care of. And foreigners, they said, would always come in when somebody had a hurting tooth, they would fix the tooth, but that's all that they could fix. And they said, if we knew how to fix their tooth, we could also tell them how God could fix their hearts. That starts to making a lot of sense, right? And they said, and when their skin is hurting, and we come in, and the foreigners, they, they heal their skin, that's all they can do. But if we knew how to heal their skin, we could tell them how God could heal their hearts. And with the glasses, Foreigners come in and fix their eyes, but that's all they can do. They say, if we can go in and we can clean their eyes so they can see, we can also tell them how God can clean their hearts. And then they knew that the need for flying was one because a lot of times in the jungles, there's somebody, they can't walk a trail. And so if they couldn't get to them, they could take the medical care to them. And so that was making a lot of sense, but we really didn't think it was possible. But while we were living down there, there was a dentist who had come to the edge of the jungle's shell. And in shell, he had heard that we were living out with the Waurani. And so when my dad came in on a flight, he asked my dad, he said, he said, Steve, he said, will you take me out to see the people that you're living with? He said, if you'll take me out, I'll spend a couple days working on their teeth. 
And my dad said, on one condition. He said, you teach them what you know. Because none of us knew how to do dentistry. Now, this man had been a, had been a dentist for over 20 years. And it took 20 years of schooling to become a dentist. So in his mind, just think about this. 40 years of, of learning, how can you teach that in two days? So what he did in his mind, he said, he said yes. And he went out to the jungles and he let the Indians hold his tools while he worked. Well, on his second day, he had, he had been drilling out a, a cavity um, on, on numerous people, had done some extractions. Well, he had given a lady a shot of anesthetic. And as you may know, it takes five or ten minutes for the mouth to become numb. And so while, he, while that, the numbing process was happening, he went up to my parents and got a glass of lemonade. But when he came back, the cavity was already drilled out. And he couldn't believe it because whoever had done it had done a great job. And so my dad was coming back from a flight. He said, Steve, I thought you told me nobody out here had any dental experience. He said, but I'm telling you, whoever drilled out this tooth knew what they were doing. And my dad said, I've known these people all my life. Nobody out here has any dental experience. Rather than arguing, they went in and asked the people. They said, who did this? And nobody admitted to it because remember their culture. They don't know yet if this is a good thing or a bad thing. So if it was a bad thing, they didn't want to admit that they had done it. So finally, one man, Tamenta, raised his hand. He said, he said, I did it. He said, she had already been given the thorn, the shot, so she wouldn't feel anything. What harm could I do? And this dentist realized that just by watching him, they saw what he was, what he was doing and were able to copy it. And so he agreed to teach my dad how to do dentistry. My dad came up to the United States and took two semesters of dental school, one on Friday and one on Saturday. And then he went back and taught them everything he knew. A short time later, we had taken an ultralight airplane down, and we were assembling that in shell on the edge of the jungles. And another group of Indians came by, and they saw the Waurani working on an airplane. Now, in Ecuador, the Indian class is the lowest class of society. But there's many, many Indians. But the Waurani are the lowest class of Indians. So this other group of Indians saw the Waurani working on an airplane, and they said, if they can do it, we can do it too. And so they went up to my dad and said, hey, when you're done teaching them, will you teach us? And my dad said, no, we're not teaching them. We're family with them. We're living with them. And this group of Indians left, upset and disappointed. And the Waurani turned to my dad and they said, no, don't you understand? You teaching us together will teach everybody. And that was the birth of iTech, the Indigenous Peoples Technology and Education Center. Our vision at iTech is to develop tools and training systems to equip Indigenous Christ followers around the world to meet the felt needs of their own people as a way to show the love of Christ in a tangible way. And by showing that love in a tangible way, they have relationship. And through that relationship, they're able to share with credibility the love of Christ. It makes sense, doesn't it? Isn't that what Jesus did? He came down to this planet 
And sometimes he would teach, but more often than not, he would just go and he would heal people. And by healing people, he connected to their heart. And by connecting to their heart, they were then able and desiring to listen to what else he had to say. And so at iTech, we don't, we don't take technology and try to fit people to our technology. We change technology to fit it to the people. And all we do is we train Christ followers around the world. Because the goal is not that everybody has good teeth and they're healthy and they have good eyesight. That's not the goal. The goal is to, give, is to empower the church to be the light of Christ by meeting people's physical needs. And then, if we stop there, we've missed the point. Because the goal is not that, is the, not that we all die with good teeth and good eyesight and, and we feel good. That's not it. Because it matters where we go when we die. But we communicate to their hearts by physical needs. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to tell you a couple of stories about our, our dental system. Now, Marlon, do you think you can set this chair up? Now, as Marlon sets up, this is, our, this is our portable dental operatory. You may have seen Marlon carrying this in on his back. We realized that, you know what, when a dentist goes somewhere and they have a 300-pound chair and a generator and a, and a compressor, it's difficult to get to some areas. So we, had, we said, okay, we have to design something that, I mean, even somebody on a trail can take with them. So as Marlon sets up this portable dental operatory, I want to tell you a couple of stories about our iDent program. One of the first people groups that we went to um, with the iDent system after Ecuador was in Ghana. And some of you may know King's Pride. King's Pride, they were having... A, very much difficulty trying to reach their people. They had an area of two and a half million or more people with only one government dentist. And there were no private dentists. And so King's Pride had heard about, about our ident system. And so in, in uh, a joint effort with Empower, we went over and we trained King's Pride and some pastors in Ghana how to do dentistry. You know what? King's Pride and his pastors had no access to the imam. Couldn't even approach him. But guess what? The imam had a hurting tooth. So they didn't need to go to him. The imam came to them. And they prayed over the imam in the name of Jesus Christ, which normally would be a killing offense, but because he had a hurt tooth, they allowed it. King's Pride came back to ITEC in February. And you know what? He told us that they, he and his pastors have now seen over 43,000 patients. Over 43,000 patients without a single negative incident. And now, I, somebody saw them, and I, I think it was somebody with Teach to Transform, saw them doing extractions, and he said, man, if you can do that, you can do cataract surgery. And so went and taught them how to do cataract surgery. That was with you guys, right? Think about that. Pastors in Ghana doing extractions, doing fillings, 
and doing eye surgery. Why? Not so that people will have good teeth and not just so that people will have good eyesight, but so that people will hear with credibility the name of Jesus Christ. We took, uh, in 2005 and 2006, uh, Charlie Vitito and a team from Southeast Christian, we went over to train 10 pastors over in India on the IDENT system. Now, these pastors, were being, their lives were being threatened, and they were being persecuted. In fact, three months before we got there with the teaching tool, one of the pastors, 25-year-old Daniel, was taken, in his village was taken, and they poured battery acid down his throat and then burned his body and killed him. And they told his widow, if you take his body down, because they put it up on display, as this is what we do to people who come and talk about Jesus. If you take his body down, we're going to do the same thing to you. We went into that very same village, and they welcomed us with open arms because we brought a tool. And you know what? This tool, it's not rocket science. You have your battery upside down. But you know what? By taking something to meet people's felt needs, the people realized that they love them. And because they love them, they welcome them with open arms, even though they were bringing Jesus also. Those are just two very, very small stories. If we could, can we go ahead and set that down on the ground? No? You guys can come and check this out or, um, afterwards, or you can go and, uh, and check out a booth, and you can see the chair and, and sit in it. Our IMED program. IMED has been something because medical needs are, are prevalent throughout the world. And a lot of places, people don't know, man, that there's even access to health care. So Dr. Trina, sitting over here, has been working with us now for a year and a half to develop our IMED tool. All of our training systems are nonverbal in nature. We have nonverbal DVDs that we go so that there's not a language barrier. Now, we always take professionals, typically from North America, to train because that lends credibility to the program. And what that North American will do, dentist, doctor, nurse, um, physical, um, physician's assistant, what they will do is they will go through a, a series of the video and then they'll explain it in more detail. And then when we leave the DVDs behind, the people have a, a reference to go to, a refresher course. IMED, what we've done is we've created four basic modules. That those are the foundational modules that everybody needs to go through, no matter where you are in the world. And then we have another 12 or 13? Okay, 15 to 20 additional modules that will be elective modules. So for instance, if you're going to a particular area where malaria is the biggest issue, then you would take the four foundational modules plus the one that we're going to develop eventually on malaria, and you would take those and you would teach the people. But everything that we do is not so that we can go in and do it, but so that we can go in and teach the indigenous Christ followers to do it. So that when our team leaves, Everything that we were doing while we were there continues on. And then do you know what? The people don't have a relationship with us. They have a relationship 
with the church. Isn't that cool? Because when they have a relationship with the church, as King's Pride said, he said, look, when we go in and we meet people's felt needs, when we go in and we fix their teeth or their eyes, then that gives us the ability to speak into their lives. And they're willing to listen. After Jesus went around and he healed people, oftentimes he would leave without ever telling them anything else. And they would follow him to find out, man, there's something different about this guy. What is so different? Some of the next modules that we're doing are, there's a, um, the four basic ones are anatomy, um, history and physical exam, hygiene, and medication delivery. Some of the next ones that we're working on right now are pain, pus, and parasites. That's a big issue, isn't it? We also have a, accountability and mentoring. Because the goal here is not just so that we can go in and we can take teams all over the world to train a group here and a group there, but eventually so that we can train trainers. So that the people that we train become the ones who train the next ones. So that this can be passed on. It's a multiplication strategy rather than an addition strategy, which is what we've been given. It's make disciples in all nations, right? Make disciples. And how do we do that? By teaching them, 2 Timothy 2.2, teaching faithful men and women everything that we've been taught so that this process can continue. Our IC program. Now, if you saw this outside, you would believe it, but this is inside here is everything that you need to check about a thousand people's eyes and give, and, and give glasses. There's 200 pairs of glasses in here. There's a, a chair, there's eye, exam, eye charts. Marlon, if you would pull out one of the eye charts, one of the things that we try to do is we try to make this as easy as possible to assimilate into a country. In the United States, we have letter charts where you have to say what letter. Oftentimes, it's just an E, and you have, to, you have to tell them which way the E is pointing. But these are hand charts. Hold up your hand, if you would. Just hold up your hand. Go ahead. You can do this. this is a, come on. And look to your neighbor next to you, and look at their hand. It looks just about like your hand, right? Give or take. And so what we've done is we our eye charts are hand charts. And so as we point to the different things, then they, by their hands, and you know what, it's very intuitive. This is the easiest program we have to learn and to teach. Any one of you in this room, if you made your way down here in less than two hours, and most likely in less than one hour, you could not only learn how to, to do an eye exam, you could also train somebody else. Recently, I led a team down to Bolivia. And in the morning, we taught a lady how to do the IC. In the afternoon, she was teaching somebody else how to do IC. And the next day, they taught somebody else how to do it. It's so simple. But, you know what? A simple pair of glasses. Would you give me a pair of glasses? My dad was in uh, South Korea. And... He, was at, he had gone in, and before he spoke, 
before he spoke, he just went up to a group of, of men that were standing there, and he just put his hand on the guy's shoulder and then started touching his ear and his head. And you could see that not only this man was uncomfortable, but everybody around him was uncomfortable too. You just don't do that. Well, then when my dad got up and he was, he asked that same man to come up for an eye exam. And purposefully, he was just all over this guy, standing close to him, touching him all over, head, shoulders, ears. I mean, just over the top. And you know what? Nobody in the audience was, they, had, they were not uncomfortable. This man was not uncomfortable. And you know, do you want to know why? Because my dad held a tool in his hands. That is the only difference. My dad had a pair of glasses in his hand, and he was testing the man for glasses. You see, when somebody allows you to touch them, you have relationship. When somebody allows you to cross that barrier and have physical contact with them, you have relationship. And with relationship, you're able to share the love of Christ. You know, one thing that I've found over the years is that people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Did you get that? People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. But once they know that you care, then they will listen to everything else. Once they know you care, and it could be as simple as a pair of glasses. Now, with our IC program, we only take new glasses. We don't take used glasses. Because when Christ came, he communicated value to people. Now, these are very inexpensive glasses. They're, they're not expensive, but they're very nice and they're brand new. And when a person gets a pair of glasses and they're now able to see, they're able to read, they understand that they are valuable. And when they know that they are valuable because we have put value in them, why have we put value in them? Because God has put value in them. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. The need is great, is it not? As I travel around the United States and I, and I talk to groups, people say, well, I mean, we can do this. We can meet the need. But if every North American dentist quit their practice and went around the world, only about 5% of the need would be met. And then who's going to care for their patients back home? No, it has to be a multiplication strategy. Equipping the church to meet the felt needs of their own people. But as King's Pride was, was in Florida, he and I were talking. And he said in Ghana, six months out of the year, they don't have access to some of the people because of the flooding. And there will be a river without any bridges that is created and they just, for six months, they, they have no way to reach those people. Well, iTech has developed a flying car. And here in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a video. Here's the purpose of the flying car. It is mainly a car. It drives on the road like a normal car. But in a lot of places where the roads are not very good, where a bridge could be washed out, 
or like King's Pride, they don't have any way to get across the river. That's where the Maverick is really good. The purpose is missions, taking these tools, taking believers into people that they otherwise would not have access to. If you will, let's watch a four-minute video of the Maverick. It's going to start out driving. Now, the sound is only coming through. Actually, I can put this up there. Um, it's just music. Well, go ahead and play it. You have to go over. No, this, it's not going to come up here. It's all right. There's your mouse right there. You see it? Right at the top. This is the latest version of the, of the flying car. Here's some of our guys having fun real close to where our headquarters are just to show you the capability of the vehicle. And here in just a minute, it's going to take off and fly. This is a, um, a three-person vehicle. It drives like a car. It has a gas pedal, a steering wheel, and a brake. Now, it also flies just like a car. Now, you may say, well, I don't, how do cars fly? It uses a gas pedal and a steering wheel to fly. The brake, it's still there when you're up in the air, but it doesn't work so well. But it is there. If you get a little bit nervous, you can hit it a couple of times. And this car will do 0 to 60 in about 3.9 seconds. That's as fast as, as most very expensive sports cars. It has, it's very unique. It has one engine with two drive systems. One drive system engages the rear um, axle, and one engages the propeller, and that's what we're about to see right now. You notice he's steering it with a steering wheel. You can't see his foot, but he's, if you want to go higher, you push the accelerator. If you want to come down, you let off on the accelerator. Just uh, last weekend in Smoketown, Pennsylvania, where Marlon, who is a board member of iTech, um, we flew this three different times there at his airport. Yeah, you, it does have windows that you can, you can zipper on, um, or you can fly it like this. When King's Pride and Florence, both um, last November, when I gave them a ride on the ground in this, they both said that they had uses for this machine here in, in Kenya and also in Ghana. In fact, I think Florence wanted three, but can you imagine? Can you imagine having access to people that you otherwise wouldn't have access to without a tool like this? If that river, think of King's Pride in, in Ghana. If that river's flooded, all he has to do is put up the wing and fly over the river. Put it all back in. It all stores right on the vehicle so you're, you can fly at any, at any time you want. And then just drive up to the village. Taking the love of Christ through meeting physical needs. You can stay in the air for up to three hours without refueling. Um, normally, the sweet spot of this vehicle 
most flights are going to be five minutes to 15 or 20 minutes in length. Because remember, this is not a driving airplane. This is a flying car. Its main purpose is as a, as a car, but it has, a, it has the capability of flight. It uses normal gasoline, yes. Normal car gasoline, yes. It has a 17-gallon tank, right? So on the road, it's going to get um, you know, 25 to 30 miles, so about, what is that, 40 to 50 um, kilometers per gallon. And in the air, it uses about five gallons per hour. All right, so that, that's the maverick. Hopefully, here's what I've wanted to communicate, that at iTech, what we do is we develop tools and technology to train indigenous Christ followers but that's not just in other countries outside the U.S. We also develop tools for the church in the United States, one of the biggest mission fields in the world, to reach our own people. It just, it's a different tool. So now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open up the floor. If you have any questions, I can take those questions now. If you'd like to come and look at some of the tools, you're welcome to do that. We also, uh, Trina, do you have the IMED? Okay, it's over on the table. Oh, there it is right here. So if you have any, any questions about any, anything that I've talked about or any of these tools. We have recently gone into production of those. Um, our next task right now is to get one. We have a training center down in Ecuador, South America. Um, I've taken two trips down to Ecuador this summer. And after our Bolivia trip, I came back and I said, you know what, I think our time in South America is done. When GMHC Africa was coming up, and I really just feel like, like our focus is going to be shifting towards Africa and, and uh, Asia because we already have a training center, and, and the training center in Ecuador is up and running. And so we've told people in South America, you need to go to that training center and, and be trained there. We have capable staff that are already ready. And so they can go there to be trained. And so we're trying to get a flying car, one of our Mavericks. Our next location is going to be down to Ecuador so we can really put it through all the rigors of field testing in, a, in an environment outside of the United States. And then, You know, once again, because of the purpose of this car, is not going to be for flight. I mean, it's not, it's not long distance flying. Um, three hours will get you just about anywhere you need to go um, reasonably. Um, the car, the retail price of it is 94000 What we are trying to do is we are trying to... Um, once we have this in the field, then, then the indigenous price. See, one of the biggest things that we do at iTech is we talk about dependency. It is not good for us to just you know, create dependency in other places where we go. So this car is not going to be available free of charge anywhere. But, like with King's Pride, I told King's Pride, I said, if you raise X amount of dollars, then you know what? We'll trust God for the rest. And... and you know, that's not going to be a problem. So 
Because if, if King's Pride, if he doesn't raise any of the money, then he won't see the value and he won't take care of the car. Now, he might, but that would be the, the standard operating procedure. And he won't have ownership. And so by the indigenous church raising the funds for part of the, of the purchase price of the Maverick, now they have ownership and they're going to take it very seriously and use it for its intended purpose. Great question. I'm not sure I quite understand. If you're going to villages that are, that are way out, right, can you train people from those villages? We only train Christ followers um, because the goal, once again, is not that everybody everywhere has good health care and, and all of those things, dental care. The goal is to empower the church to be the light into, into their world. Right. What we do, one good question. The question was, how do we essentially um, train people without allowing other people to come on and just say, well, if you can do it, I can do it too. No? Okay, so how do we train in two days what, what somebody else takes six years? We, first off, we don't. We don't. We're not training them. They're not becoming a dentist. What they are becoming is a dental technician so that they can do. It's very, it's very short but very intense training. And after two days, they're still not qualified. Then we do four to five days of clinics where they are working on real patients but uh, with a North American dentist for dentistry. So that dentist is watching what they're doing and is coaching them in the process. He's mentoring them. But each day, that dentist takes a step back. So they're not becoming a dentist. They're not going to set up shop next to a dentist in Nairobi and, and trying to compete. They're going out into places where there is no dental care, where there is no health care. And that's where, they're, that's where they're providing the need. But King's Pride, two days of training. 43,000 patients later. And what I didn't tell you before is that when the, now when the government dentist, when he runs into a problem that he can't fix, he sends them to the pastors. Because the pastors, he, in his estimation, know more than what he knows.
It's a, it's a great question, and it's difficult to answer fully. You know, the missing part of that equation is God. You know, God opens doors, and I mean, by the end of the first half day in India, uh, Ron Knocker was giving another pastor a shot of anesthetic. He had no dental, had no health care training whatsoever. It's very short, it's very intense, and it's very specific. You had a question? Somebody had a question? What we do is we work with the, the indigenous church. And everywhere where we've gone, everywhere where Empower goes, if there is permission needed, then we get the, we get the right permission. In Bolivia, um, uh, Jose Luis went to the, the Ministry of Health and got permission because we're not going in, once again, to compete with what, where dentists already are or doctors. That's not what we're doing. We're going to places where the government is not able to provide and has not provided. So we're actually doing a service for the government. And what we found in India is that when we would go into different villages, then the leaders of those villages would come and they would observe what we were doing. They would observe what the Indian pastors were doing. And then they invited them to all the villages in their region because of the service that they were providing. that was otherwise not being provided. And that happened all over the Hyderabad area. So that's been our experience. We do get permission when necessary. We work with the indigenous church to get that permission from the necessary authorities so that we're not going in just totally incognito and undermining. We're actually going in, and the government, every government that I've ever heard of, looks at that as a service that they can't provide, but we are providing to their people. Other questions? I did not know that. Um, our focus now, um, I take, what you'll notice on my shirt is that we're iTech. You know, we don't, we don't spell it out or anything like that. Um, we just simply want to work with the local churches in the various areas. Well, yes.
Great question. How long does it take and how many people can be trained? What we do is when we're working with the church, we let the church dictate how many trainees they have. And then we put together a team to meet that. Now, there does become a certain number where it's, where it's impossible to train. Typical training is two days in the classroom and four to five days of clinics outside of the classroom. Um, I mean, that, that's pretty standard. Most trips are 10 to 12 days long, total from the time we leave the United States to the time we're back. And we also have a certification process so that if you participate in a training, you don't necessarily get a certificate that allows you to go ahead and continue to practice. You may get a participation certificate or you'll get a level one. Level one, you're certified. You've shown enough ability that you are able to perform what we're certifying for you um, without, without difficulty. You've, you've cer or we're certifying that you are proficient in that. But we also say you can't wait a week to go and continue. You need to do this you know, tomorrow. You need to do this. Um, some, of the, uh, some of the people that have been trained in India had come by train. And we told them, you can't wait until you get home to do this. If there's a train stop that's going to be an hour, you get out of your chair, you set it up, and you start working. Because you forget so much in such a short amount of time if you don't continue to learn. We leave that up to the church. Our focus is on training um, pastors and church leaders because those are the people who are out in the community working and who will catch the vision. If we train high school graduates you know, who are just freshly out of high school, they're, they're typically not as focused on ministry. We want to focus, focus on ministry-minded people. Last question. Have we trained people in Africa? Yes. Uh, through Empower, our sister um, organization, located in Louisville, Kentucky, they do, what, about six to eight trainings in Africa every single year. And so there's people all over in Africa. I mentioned King's Pride in Ghana. Um, he and his pastors have, have been doing this for nine or ten years now. So there is training going on all throughout Africa. It's not enough. We want to do more which is why we're here. Thank you so much for being here. If you have any more questions, please feel free to, to uh, come out to our booth. Um, Dr. Tom is about to, uh, what, I think in 15 minutes, um, he'll be speaking here. So if you need a, there's some water over here. You need to stretch your legs. Otherwise, um, come back for Dr. Tom, and, um, and we'll be out at our booth. So come see us there as well. Thank you. We'd like to thank Jamie for his great presentation. And I'm quite sure some of you are going to learn and go do dentistry someplace or the other. Thank you so much. And we look forward to the next session. Feel free to move around quickly if you want to go to the other booth and come back or whatever to the other sessions, please. Thank you.